All right, we're in Revelation 16. We're going to finish chapter 16 today. Revelation 16, 16 through 21. I'm going to read that now from the New King James Version. And they gathered them together. We'll talk about who they is in just a moment. They gathered them together, and we'll talk about who them is too, to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl. So this is the final bowl judgment of the three sets of judgments. The final judgment. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. That's saying a lot. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Are you, are you getting the picture of what an amazing worldwide global catastrophe this will be? We've seen traces, we've seen hints, but this is the grand finale. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent, and we'll talk about that too. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for another opportunity to study your word together, to learn, to grow, to gain greater and deeper understanding of what is awaiting this earth, what lies before us, although we will be with you in heaven as these events are unfolding. It's important for us to know, Lord, what is coming down the pike. Bless this time of study, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The seventh bowl uh, has been entitled by some commentators, The Earth Utterly Shaken. And so they gathered them together. They is these froggy demons of verse 14 that we saw last week. For they are spirits of demons, the ones that come out of the Satan, the, the beast, the Antichrist, the, the false prophet. Demons that look like frogs and it harkens back to the plagues of Egypt. They are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And so as I talked about last week, to, at the end of the tribulation, the Antichrist's 15 minutes of fame has run out. The various rulers in the world which are, have been under his control, these 10 sectors that the, the world will be divided into, no longer independent sovereign nations, but 10 sectors which has already been laid out by the globalists. It's already planned. The whole world will be divided up into ten sectors and all of the leaders of these ten sectors will be under the ultimate authority of the Antichrist. They get fed up. Uh, these demons are drawing them to the Valley of Megiddo in Israel. Initially, they want to battle against the Antichrist, but then they will 
the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? They will band together to fight Jesus Christ at his return. Can't think of a dumber thing to do than that. The place called in Hebrew Armageddon or Har Megiddo. The battle spoken of in verse 14 takes place at Armageddon. Har means mount. So the Hebrew word literally needs Mount of Megiddo. And then there's that entire valley that spreads out down from Mount Megiddo. Megiddo comes from a root word meaning to cut off and consequently has the meaning of slaughter. Isn't that interesting? And just the mention of, of this famous battleground of Armageddon to a Jew suggests a battle because down through history, numerous significant battles have taken place there. It was one of the most strategic sites in the land of Canaan because it guarded the main pass through the Carmel mountain range leading up to Mount Carmel where Elijah faced off the 420 prophets of Baal. There's also a city of Megiddo, or there was, and uh, it's located near the, the head of the Valley of Jezreel or the Plain of Esdralon, so it has several names. But many Old Testament battles took place in this location, including that of Deborah and Barak. Remember Deborah? There was a significant battle that took place there with her and Barak and then with the Canaanites in Judges 4, and then Gideon and the Midianites in Judges 7. And interestingly enough, at one point, Napoleon had taken forces into Israel, and he, as he looked over this plain of Esdralon, the... Uh, Valley of Jezreel, he proclaimed, this is the ideal battleground for all the armies of the world. Isn't that interesting? Did you ever think of Napoleon as a prophet? But he made that statement. All right, we go on to verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. So this is the climax of all of Revelation's judgments. And a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. But why does the angel pour his bowl into the air instead of out onto the earth? It could be because the air is the realm of Satan. He's called the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2. Like tornadoes, an earthquake is often preceded by a strange quality in the air. Have any of you ever experienced that? Have you ever been in an area where there's about to be a tornado, a hurricane, earthquake. There can be a very interesting, strange quality in the air just before these things erupt. So he pours his bowl out into the air, and then a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne. This would, is God's voice announcing the fulfillment of his wrath. Interesting phrase here, it is done. There was a similar pronouncement following the seventh trumpet judgment, and so that signaled the, the completion of that series of judgments. Here it signals the completion of all the judgments. But that was back in chapter 11, 15 through 19, after the seventh trumpet judgment. It is done. And this is God's final act of judgment before Christ comes. Not for his church at the rapture, but with his church at the second coming. John 19:30. remember this. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he's there on the cross. He says, I thirst. They offered up the sponge or whatever it was with the vinegar on it. 
When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Which means he had completed his task, what he had come to do, to become the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. But he said those very critical words, it is finished. The job is done, and we see the same thing here with the outpouring of this final bowl of wrath, the earth being utterly shaken. Verse 18, there were noises and thunderings and lightnings. And again, that's something similar to the conclusion of the seven seal judgments, the first group. But these manifestations throughout Revelation and even in other scriptures are indicative of the power and the presence of God. And for God's people, his presence is a wonderful thing. But for the wicked, it's a whole different story. Back in Exodus 19, 16 through 18, Moses has been meeting with God up on Mount Sinai, if you recall. It says, It came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, just like our men's retreat this weekend. It was all misty and foggy. It was really, really cool. But there's a thick cloud. That cloud is called the Shekinah glory. It was the presence of God on Mount Sinai. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And so we see this kind of phenomenon here as the, the final angel, the seventh angel, pours out the final bowl of judgment on the earth. And the result was there was a great or severe earthquake. Again, other earthquakes are mentioned in chapter 8, verse 5, chapter 11, verse 19. But according to the scripture here, this will be the mother of all earthquakes. And Jesus said, even leading up to the tribulation, as we get closer and closer, that one of the signs of the last days would be earthquakes in diverse places, various places, even unusual places. And uh, over the last several years we've been here, they've had hundreds of smaller earthquakes in Oklahoma. I don't know if you've heard about Yellowstone, but there's a lot of seismic activity going on up right there. Have you read about that? The earth is in that final mode. Not only do we see things manifesting in the spiritual realm and on the natural plane, which really they're interconnected, aren't they? When we see what's happening with the governments of the world, with the pandemic, all these different things, a lot of it may look like just natural issues, natural phenomenon, but there's a direct interconnection between the natural and the supernatural. Do you agree with that? And so we see these things happening, which were predicted in the scriptures. Earthquakes in various or diverse places. And we've talked about this in the past. I've shared statistics how there have been an ever-increasing number of earthquakes, and they're also increasing in intensity. And uh, we've talked before about the ring of fire there in the Pacific, with all this underground potential seismic eruptions that could take place. So far, we've just seen things, one over here, one over here, one over there. And they're all indicators, they're all warnings. But at some point, it's all going to erupt. You know, the Bible says 
that all things are held together by Jesus Christ. And if you think about that, then all he has to do is just pull back and let things fly apart. And that's exactly what's going to happen at the end of the, the tribulation here. Such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now you think about it. We've had some pretty devastating earthquakes. How many of you know about the San Francisco earthquake back at the, the turn of the century, 20th century? I think it was 1907, give or take, right in that area. It's interesting because at the beginning of the 20th century, well, we were just coming into the apex of the, the uh, Industrial Revolution. That started in the mid-1800s. We were just watching a documentary about Queen Victoria, very interesting. She reigned in England for over 60 years. Uh, and she was right in the middle of that Industrial Revolution. And then um, at the beginning of the 20th century, you had the Titanic situation. You had the San Francisco earthquake. And you know, we read in Genesis 6 where at the time of Noah, God gave the people 120 years. And so I think as we saw the Industrial Revolution launched and then that gave way to the technological revolution, which we were talking over the weekend, and I believe for many years now that this whole technological revolution is the modern-day Tower of Babel. It is men like Bill Gates and uh, Zuckerberg and different ones attempting to build their own tower into the universe. In fact, Zuckerberg has a new term called the metaverse. Have you heard that? The metaverse. And he's even enticing churches to partner with Facebook to build a church of the metaverse. Very interesting. Very interesting. So we've had the... And I, I lived through at least one quake in L.A. back in the day. And then they had, an, I believe, an even worse one once I was here in New Mexico. So... Uh, South America, thousands of lives lost in these earthquakes. But these are all going to look like a carnival ride compared to what's coming. And if you've ever watched some of the footage and so forth of these various earthquakes and you see the upheaval of the, the roads and so forth and the buildings and just even one isolated quaker here or there can be de very devastating, but this quake is going to be of such a magnitude that it's going to impact the entire planet simultaneously. And I was going to mention even there undoubtedly were many, many massive earthquakes all over the globe at the time of Noah's flood, don't you imagine? There's, there's evidence of earthquakes and volcanoes and all kinds of things. When you picture the entire planet engulfed in enough water to cover the tallest mountain, which is, by the way, an historical fact. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. It really happened. We've seen the devastating effects of a small amount of water just recently with, the, uh, with that uh, flash flood we had. and Sadly, seven people were washed down the arroyo. Did you know about that here a couple weeks ago? Again, Little indicators, but nothing compared to what's coming. 
Okay, verse 19. Now the great city was divided into three parts, or split. It could be translated split into three parts. Now Jerusalem is mentioned in chapter 11, verse 8, as the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, interestingly, where also their Lord was crucified. So here's the holy city of Jerusalem, yet in chapter 11, verse 8, it's being referred to as Sodom and Egypt because of the fact that they turned from God and they crucified the Son of God. But here, in chapter 16, it actually is referring to Babylon. As we read on, we see that. And Babylon would appear to be the epicenter of the most destructive earthquake the world will ever see. And then the cities of the nations fell or collapsed. Now we've talked more than once about the fact that Babylon is not just a geographical location, it's a, it's a system. The last days, one world government, one world religion, and one world economy, which we're already halfway into, by the way. Have you noticed that? We're already there. All the rumbling and shaking with uh, the banks. And there have been people, um, Christians, conservatives, who are actually having their bank accounts closed out because they don't have the right ideology, the right political persuasion, and so forth. It's already happening. The Bitcoin situation, digital currency, everything is in flux. And when it all shakes out, right hand or forehead, scan it. There won't be any paper money, any coin. There won't be any cards. You will be. I won't be because I won't be here and I trust you won't either. But for those who are here, their body will be the instrument by which they buy and sell. The scanning of your body with the implant that they put in there. So the cities of the nations fell or collapsed. So this quake is obviously worldwide. And this huge earthquake will reduce all the cities of the nations to rubble and flintstone. <laughs> Barney, rubble, flintstone, okay. Okay. Isn't this amazing, folks? And again, the pride of man, the arrogance. After 911. It was a fulfillment of a biblical prophecy after Israel was attacked by the Assyrians and fortifications were torn down and so forth. They vowed to build back stronger, better. But it wasn't with God's help. It was something they did in the flesh. The same kind of pronouncements were made after 9 -1 -1. We will build back. That was President Biden's slogan in the campaign, build back better. How's that going? Not very well. 
But after thousands of years of man's efforts to build his own heaven on earth, and now again the latest version is through technology, microchips, implants, getting rid of the inferior portion of the population. And as I've told you so many times, folks, it should be so apparently obvious that this is the enemy's strategy. What he does, he points the finger at you and says, that's what you're doing. And all these people who claim to be so on board with protecting humanity and protecting the minorities and so forth are actually the ones that are doing everything in their power to kill us all off. And that's a fact. The ones who are calling you a racist are the real racists. The ones who are calling you the haters are the real haters. The ones who are calling you the terrorists, and by the way, if you're a born-again, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, Spirit-filled Christian, then according to many on the left, you are a terrorist. Actually, they're the terrorists. This whole Antifa thing, Antifa means anti-fascist, but they're the fascists. You see how all this works? And do you realize a large percentage of the population is totally brainwashed with all of this? Do you know that 50% of our population now believes we should move into socialism? Although everywhere it's ever been tried in the whole world, it's failed. And it always, socialism really always leads to communism. And communism leads to the death of millions of people all over the world. It leads to religious persecution. It leads to authoritarianism, tyranny, tyrants, dictators. And 50% of our population is so brain dead and brainwashed, they say they want this. In spite of what you look back at the history of our nation and the great things that God has done for the United States of America, half of the population doesn't want that anymore. They want to be enslaved like everybody who's gone before us and those like Venezuela and different places who are enslaved even now don't even have food to eat. Who, who in their right mind would want that? But you know, the Bible does say that in the last days, people would come under a great deception. It's no longer a future event. It's here now. It's here now. And by the way, there was another point I wanted to make last week. I got halfway through it and then kind of diverted. We were talking about there are many, many doctors, medical personnel, people who are part of that research and development within the pharmaceutical industry. There are thousands of them warning about the vaccine. It's not just one or two here or there. You have to search for them on the internet because they will never make it into the mainstream news. They're silenced, they're shut down, but they're putting their lives on the line. They're putting their livelihood, their profession, their reputation, and everything on the line. Why would they do that if they're making it all up? Why would you risk your livelihood, even your very life, to warn people about this thing if in fact there's nothing wrong with it? Why would they do that? Would you do that? And on the other side, we have all these people hammering us daily, telling us, 
We must get it. We must have it. In spite of all the double speak and the back and forth and no, don't wear a mask, do wear a mask, don't wear a mask, do wear a mask, wear two masks, wear three masks, get one shot, get two shot, get three shots, don't give it to children. Oh no, now we do give it to children. And they have everything to gain. Do you know that Moderna uh, posted a $4 billion profit this year? Moderna from the vaccine. So they have a reason to do what they're doing and to say what they're saying. And it's called lots and lots of money. So you have those people on one side. On the other side, you have people risking everything to warn you, to tell you the truth. Who would you believe? I know who I believe. I know who I believe. And I trust the Spirit of God, as we've talked about, to give me wisdom and discernment. So I needed to get that out there. That didn't quite come through last week the way I wanted it to. People who really do care about the human race, who care about one another. But again, after thousands of years of man's effort to build his own heaven on earth, I think Lawrence, where's Lawrence Pinter? I thought I saw him in here. Were you the one going to Dubai? Somebody's going to Dubai soon. No, that's uh, Nate. Nate's going to Dubai. To the U well, he told me specifically Dubai, though. They have the world's tallest building over there in Dubai. They have a mall with an indoor ski slope. They just built this giant diving pool that's 200 feet deep with all these amazing things down inside of it, you know, with all the oil money, which they're getting even richer now because we don't have our own oil anymore, thanks to somebody who just came into office recently. Yeah, if you don't like it, I'm sorry, but I, I tell it like it is. I tell it like it is. So, it looks like the human race is well on its way to building its Tower of Babel, to building its glorious monuments, to man's abilities, man's achievements, but it's all going to come crashing down, baby. With this earthquake, global earth, can you imagine the terror, the fear, the damage, the destruction? Great Babylon was remembered before God. Babylon's classic manifestations of rebellion against God are the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11, 1 through 9, and the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 4:30. But in the last days, this same spirit of Babylon is going to grip the entire planet for seven years. Great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Literally, the boiling over outburst of his wrath. You know, a lot of people, like, they get mad at God. They blame God for this. They blame God for that. But do you realize how restrained God has been? Do you realize, when you think about the evil, the perversion, the corruption that exists on this planet, and yet we're still all here, God has been extremely restrained. We've seen little glimpses of his wrath, Noah's flood, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, various events that have taken place down through human history. We've just caught little glimpses. But believe me, we haven't seen anything 
And the thing is, he's totally justified. He is holy, righteous, perfect in all of his ways, the creator of all things, the master of the universe, and he has every right to judge this planet. And he's going to. And this is what we're seeing right here. And so God is going to act on his earlier promises that Babylon would fall. Chapter 14, verse 8. And that the cup of his wrath would be poured out full strength. Chapter 14, verse 10. And this could be this whole idea of the cup of his wrath, the cup of his indignation. It could be an allusion to the practice in earlier times of putting certain criminals to death by making them drink a cup of poison. I mean, you know, what, you know what's in it? You have no choice. You have to drink it. And you know when you do, you're going to die. And it's not going to be a comfortable death either. Verse 20, Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Again, we see this is similar to the sixth seal in chapter 6, verse 14. The sky receded as a scroll when it rolled up. It does have the sound of a nuclear conflict of some kind. Every mountain and island was moved out of its place. So initially, there's going to be movement, massive movement with islands and mountains. But here in chapter 16, they don't just move. They flee. They're gone. The mountains were not found. The islands fled away. You know, probably for many of us, I know my wife and I, we've always dreamed of living on an island, you know. If you have any island property, <laughs> you might want to sell it. Get your money back before the rapture. So, again, as I said, in the sixth seal, there, there seems to have been a shifting and upheaval through this, what may be a nuclear exchange. Could be supernatural. A lot of the things we read in Revelation could very easily be supernatural. We, again, we've talked about the witness of the plagues of Egypt and things God has done in the past. But at the same time, man has reached such a level technologically that God could just sit back for the most part and watch man destroy himself. Unless the days be shortened, Jesus said, even the elect would not be saved. No flesh would be saved. Verse 21, great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone. We know something about hail here in New Mexico, don't we? And Colorado, man, they get some massive hailstorms. Thousands of vehicles get damaged and have to be sold off at an auction because they're all beat in with hail. Now, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. <laughs> yeah, here's where it gets really interesting. Anybody ever been hit by a hailstone? It can, it can hurt, can't it? Do you know, if you drop a penny off the Empire State Building and it hits somebody down on the ground, it'll kill them. Just a penny. These hailstones, the talent here, is 75 to 100 pounds. Ouch. The contents of the seventh bowl correspond to the seventh Egyptian plague in Exodus 9, 23 through 25, although this hail is much more severe, obviously, than that in Exodus. Exodus 9, 23, Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven 
And the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground. So man, you've got thunder, hail, and fire all at the same time. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail. Yeah, that's pretty supernatural, wouldn't you say? So very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. I tell you, if one of these 100-pound babies hits fluffy, it's all over. Man, there's a lot of chihuahuas around, but they're not going to be around. No offense to anybody who has a chihuahua. They're tough little guys, but they can't sustain a 100-pound hailstone. The hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree in the field. So here we are at the end of the tribulation. Not only is this going to kill massive numbers of people, whatever vegetation may be left, and there won't be much, it's going to be pounded into the dust. Animal life, human life, vegetation, I can't even begin to imagine. If you've ever seen any footage of some of the battlegrounds from World War I, World War II, where the whole landscape is just obliterated from all the rocket shells, the cannons, and all the, the, the warfare. just And that was a big part of what happened in Israel, why it was so beaten down and, until uh, the Jews came back to the land beginning in the 1800s. There had been so many battles and conflicts in the nation of Israel and all these ancient armies when they come through and even the modern armies, they tended to destroy everything. In ancient times, they would burn vegetation as part of the conquest just to make sure the people couldn't even grow food or have lumber or anything. They would burn everything. Israel was devastated and prior to the return of the Jews, it was just filled with wandering nomadic people who had no interest in or had made no effort to restore the land. This is something important to know. I know it's a little bit off subject here. But now that Israel has totally restored its land, built it up again, made it beautiful, vineyards, orchards, you name it, well now all of a sudden it's not their land. All of a sudden the Palestinians want it. They didn't care about it before. How did the Jews come back and acquire all this land? It was sold to them by the Arabs. The Arabs, Arabs didn't care. The whole land was devastated. They gladly sold large tracts of land to returning Jews who then took it and made it into something beautiful. And now that it's all been fixed up, they want it back. It was never theirs to begin with. It. In fact, it's even rather humorous that they would sell the Jews their own land. Some have criticized Jewish people for being rather tight-fisted when it comes to finances, but it was actually the Arabs who sold the Jews their own land, which had been theirs for thousands of years. Are you getting the picture here? Just thought I'd throw that in. A little bonus round. But it's all going to be destroyed. Such huge masses of ice would destroy anything left standing from the earthquake and would no doubt kill or seriously injure those they hit. So what happened? The rest of the people still alive on the planet repented and turned to God. No. 
No. It's funny because people will say, well, if God's really there, let him show me. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Well, he might show you. You might not like the way he does it. And they certainly didn't or won't. Men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail. So when things are going well, they don't give him the credit. And when they're going bad, they blame him for it. Now again, we've talked about this. While God's uh, intention is through humbling and breaking man, mankind, people, to bring them to repentance, the hardened heart of man can become in impenetrable. The hardened heart can acknowledge neither blessing nor correction. So that's a good heart check. Check your heart. Are you able to acknowledge God's blessings in your life? Or are you only focused on what you think is the bad stuff? Are you able to receive his correction? Or do you resist? Do you not, maybe not blaspheme him, but certainly blame him? Maybe even curse him, which is the same as blaspheming him, really. Then you might have a hardened heart. And you better ask God to soften it up real quick. Mark 6.52, for they had not understood about the loaves. This is the disciples. Why? Now listen to this. These are the guys that Jesus chose to follow him. They were a work in progress, just like us. I'm so thankful that in the scriptures, in the, in the, in the Bible, unlike a lot of other so-called religious literature, God lets us see who these biblical characters really were. The good, the bad, the ugly. King David, great man of God, but man, he did some bad stuff. And yet the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he was perfect? No. Because whenever he did fall, when he did stumble, when he did sin, he was quick to confess his sins before God, to repent. David truly understood the grace of God. Because many people in those situations that David found himself in, of his own making, would have just hung it up, chucked it. Chucked it. I've sadly seen that with believers who, they fall into sin. Maybe adultery, maybe uh, drug addiction, alcoholism, you name it. And rather than being like David and confessing, repenting, but totally trusting in, believing in God's grace, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, they just give up. Just turn from God because of their own failures. But they shouldn't have been shocked or surprised. We are imperfect human beings. We are sinners saved by grace. We all are going to sin, not because we want to, because we have a sin nature and we have a battle going on inside of us with the Spirit of God living in us, fighting against that old man, that old nature, the flesh. Now, hopefully, again, this is why it's important to do what we're doing here today, to gather as believers, to study the Word of God, to worship, to pray, to fellowship. Because if you try to do it on your own, chances are you're going to take one step forward and two steps back. And at some point, if that goes on long enough and the enemy is constantly hammering you and coming after you and telling you what a fake, 
phony, hypocrite you are, at some point you might just agree with him and say, forget it, I can't do it. You never could do it in the first place. None of us can do it. Only God can do it in us and through us. But it's a team sport. You've heard the men talk about the retreat and what, how, what a great thing it was for them. We need those times of encouragement. The ladies retreat a couple weeks ago. Just gathering together every week on Sunday. It's a team sport, folks. We're all in it together. So here are the disciples. You think, well, these guys must have been the cream of the crop, right? <laughs> they had not understood Jesus. They come to Jesus. We got all these thousands of people here, Lord. We need to send them off into the villages and towns to get something to eat. And Jesus says, you feed them. <laughs> and so with a few loaves and fishes, Jesus sends them out to feed what was probably 10 to 15,000 people at least. Because only the men are mentioned, 5,000 men. Many of them probably had their wives with them, their kids. So you're talking probably 10 or 15,000 people at least that were fed that day. But even after witnessing that miracle, being instruments of God's miracle, as they distributed the food and then collected all the leftovers, how do you have leftovers? <laughs> With God, all things are possible. They had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Even the disciples at this stage of their development had hardened hearts. And one of Jesus' main goals over that three years that they spent together was to soften their hearts. If we praise God in the good times and the bad, in times of blessing and times of trial, our hearts will remain soft. Fertile soil for the truth of his word and the touch of his spirit. Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's what we should all desire from God. It's a soft heart, a heart of flesh, guarding our hearts against becoming hardened. That is a big issue, folks. And all the things that we struggle with, even as believers, what do we, we struggle with anxiety, anxiety, fear, worry, doubt. We shouldn't, but we do. Anger, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. These are all things that promote the hardness of the heart. And that's a dangerous thing. Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. As we are subjected to the evils of this world, that's another ingredient that can play into the hardening of our hearts. We must guard our hearts against becoming calloused, hardened, indifferent. And that's happening to a lot of people today. You should not want that. I don't want that. 
Again, that's why we need the Word of God. We need fellowship. We need prayer. We need to be around people who are like-minded, who will encourage us to stand together, to resist the schemes of the devil. Let's stand. Bow our heads for a moment. Close our eyes. It's just good to kind of take our eyes off of the things of this world and focus on the Lord for a minute. And I'm going to ask if you need prayer for any reason this morning to raise your hand. Certainly we've covered a lot of things that might be on your hearts and minds this morning. Raise your hand so I can see it. God sees it. God sees your heart. All right, let's pray. Father, you, you know everyone here. You've seen all these hands that have been raised. We thank you, Lord, that you're an amazing, awesome God who's able to minister to each one of us right where we're at. No matter what's going on in our lives, Lord, you have what we need. You are the source. You are the answer. Help us to never forget that. Father, I do pray for hardened hearts. There could be some here this morning who actually realize and recognize that their heart has become hardened and they don't want it to be. Lord, we pray that you would soften their heart, help them to make good decisions, good choices that will lead to a softened heart, Lord, to practice the disciplines of the Christian life, not to forsake the assembling together of the saints, uh, to be in prayer, to be in your word. These are all things that we need to do, Lord, in order to stay healthy spiritually and to keep our hearts soft before you. Lord, if there's unforgiveness, if there's bitterness, resentment, anger, jealousy, please take these things, Lord, from us. We know they are destructive. I pray that you would gift, give the gift of repentance to those who need it here this morning, Lord. Our pride gets in the way sometimes, Father, and it's hard for us to acknowledge that we are wrong, that we are in sin. But we know that the real danger is not admitting that we're in sin. The real danger is to ignore it. So I pray for gifts of repentance and faith. Lord, for anyone here today that may not know you, they've not been born again by the Spirit of God, that you would help them right now this very moment to embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, to acknowledge his sacrifice on the cross for their sins, to receive that forgiveness that comes through his shed blood, to be born again by the Spirit of God. Lord, for those with health issues, we've talked about some of the healing work that you did over the weekend at the men's retreat. It's so exciting and encouraging to see that when we pray for these things, you really do hear us and you answer. Lord, that we've seen many people healed from many different afflictions over many years as we have consistently gathered uh, to pray. So we do lift up anyone here today with a, with a health issue, whether it's something as simple as allergies, a cold, a backache, and even if it's something serious, Lord, like heart disease or cancer, Lord, you're able to heal anything and everything. You made us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. You know us inside and out, and we humbly beseech you now for healing in our physical bodies, Father. Pray for healing and mending of broken relationships. Help us to be instruments of your peace. Pray for those with financial issues. Lord, impart to us faith, hope, endurance, wisdom, so that we can navigate through the difficult waters in this world today. Bless each one, Father. Encourage, strengthen, uplift, lead, guide, direct, empower 
Lord, you've called us to be more than conquerors through you, Lord, who love us. Help us to walk in the victory that is ours in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.